Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Dream Nation Love. I'm your host, Yulia, and I want to remind you to subscribe to my newsletter on uh, Dream Nation Love on the Instagram page. So just go there and hit the link in the bio and find it. It has a lot of awesome little giveaways every month, like uh, books and fun little information about women, diversity, and social impact that you are going to love. So please share it with a friend. Today on the show, I interview the amazing Kay Burke, who is one of the co-founders of House of Yes, along with Anya Sapozhnikova. But today on the show, I only speak with Kay. House of Yes is super fun. If you haven't been to one of their events, then you're missing out. They have global events now, so you definitely have to go. Now, I bet you didn't know, but House of Yes originally started out as a creative event space and also a circus theater in Williamsburg. And I've been in Williamsburg for over 16 years and I do remember them opening up. So talk about like throwing a good party, right? Kay is also the creative director of Yes ETC Creative. And on this podcast, we talk about how Kay designs inclusive experiences, how the pandemic has changed party culture, and what a person who throws parties for a living does for fun. You know, I was really, really curious and uh, Kay told me all about it. So enjoy the podcast and share it with a friend. Have a great day. Okay, welcome to the show. It is so exciting to have you here because we've been meaning to make this happen for a while and you are here in front of me. With Hello. Hair. <laughs> ah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks. I really admire the work that you do at the House of Yes. And I really miss going to the House of Yes because I am a mom now. So I don't really have any more fun. So I live vicariously through people's posts. We have but, a lot. Uh, of, I have to say we have a lot of moms. <laughs> we have moms and dads and zaddies. There's totally a culture for party moms. At yes. House of yes, as you- yes. No, there is. But it's like right now she's like almost 15 months. So it's, you have a sleep schedule and it's it's a routine. I need a babysitter and all that stuff. But I digress. Um, back to the house of yes, which is doing so much stuff. And that's why I really wanted to talk to you about it. And I wanted to take it way back and uh, and see how early this idea started or if it even started at such a small age. But when you were a kid, you probably had a dream. What was your dream as a kid? I don't remember. I feel like I wanted to be a dolphin, a mermaid, a unicorn, a dog. <laughs> so I, I got to, those dreams got to come true because as a performance artist, dancer, professional performance weirdo, I got, I've definitely dressed up and performed as all those things. And now I also get to have other people dress up and perform as any kind of creature of imagination that they wish. So I think my, my dreams as a kid ended up coming true. Now that now, now that you mention it. I love that. Well, you went to art school, right? You you started this with Anya. Yes. And so you both started it. And you started this out of art school, too, as I recall. And I read a little bit about how it grew, right? Like you were like doing all these things. You were like doing still. Anya was doing still. It's all this different work. But what was the exact moment that House of Yes came to fruition that you're like, we must do this. This is going to be a business, right? Oh, yeah. What is the transition from art kid to business person? I mean, that took, it really took years. And it's interesting about the creative process itself and the creative process of House of Yes is it was quite organic. It was not a decision necessarily. It's a series of choices that end up creating a reality. 
and organically growing and evolving into what it is now. But it wasn't, oh my God, what we're going to do is this. And here's the business plan. And here's the strategy. And not so clear, not so clear cut. It came from, you know, of course, me and Anya meeting in high school in Rochester, making art together. And sometimes that was music. Sometimes it was scavenger hunts. Sometimes it was sewing. And the sewing actually really sparked a lot of joy and expression and took us into fashion school. So we both ended up going to FIT in New York City. And we were young. We moved here at 18. So in addition to going to fashion school, we were also making weird costumes out of trash and going to dance parties, you know, making friends. It was We only really knew each other in New York. We didn't have a huge community whatsoever. So it was really going to these dance parties and dressing up like maniac weirdos that started connecting us to these different scenes and circles within the city. So once that starts to evolve, we just end up playing with these different mediums. Sculpture and installation grew out of that. Uh, Doing more performance art. Stilt walking grew out of our costume design and wanting to just be extravagant creatures of the night. And so participating in these parties is what really sparked a lot of choices and therefore opportunities that self-propelled into just really needing more space. When you're creating on such a multifaceted, multidimensional, multi-genre level, you know, we're making more than just costumes. We're, you know, really started to need more space. And especially in New York, being a very expensive city, even in Brooklyn, even in what is this I'm talking about? It was still, we didn't really come for money. <laughs> so we broke, broke ass artists. And it was always, if you wanted space to create, it typically meant you would be in a live work situation, a live work loft, because I don't know, just the way that the city and the real estate works. That a lot of times those places were illegal. Rubelot, I think, was a bunch of artists paying their rent through, by throwing parties every month in the giant loft. Yeah, and Rubelot was some of the first parties me and Anya went to that really sparked our community building, even before we went to Burning Man. You know, a lot of people can sense a Burning Man DNA within House of Yes. I'm like, yeah, there's Burning Man, but there's also Rubelot. And Rubelot came from predecessors before that that were inspired by you know, spaces in maybe the 60s, 70s, and 80s, you know? So there's a there's really like a, a lineage and legacy to New York underground party culture, performance art culture, and really celebration spaces. So it's, it's like an honor to still be representing that and hopefully inspiring pe- people for the future who come to maybe House of Yes is their first weird party zone and they make some other expression of their own space. Basically, the first House of Yes, Anya was offered this loft from a friend of ours, Will Atundi, who threw parties, the danger parties in warehouses back before Bushwick was... Yeah, and of course they were like illegal warehouse raves, but really artfully done and really cool. So yeah, this loft became available. Like Anya signed the lease, gutted it, decorated it. And that was the first house of yes. I moved in a couple months later and we just, we just rocked it. We'd make art and have some parties, do some circus tricks have some sewing parties. It was, it was rad. Yeah, because you do aerial, right? You still do aerial or you partake in it? <laughs> you know, I really, I used to perform a lot. Anya is still performing aerial, one of the best aerialists I'd say in the world. Amazing doubles aerialist. And yeah, I love aerial for the strength, the confidence, the workout, the muscle tone. <laughs> it took me a while to understand from performing aerial for, for quite a long time. I'm just like, damn, I'm more of a clown. 
I'm a character actor. I'm a clown. I'm, I just, that's my happy zone. And I love working out in Ariel. It's always really stressed me out to perform it. (laughs) So I really like, I love to grunt. I love to grunt and sweat and climb (laughs) and feel of your muscles. I, I absolutely adore that. But when it comes down to being in the spotlight, I'm much more comfortable and expressive on a microphone or making a total fool of myself is, is definitely more my joy space. Yeah, I moved to, I started going to Brooklyn, I think in 99, but 98, 99. And then I moved to New York in 2004. But I remember there was a space where the Apple store is now and they had this huge aerial loft and they had Kung Fu in there for a while, but they were teaching aerial classes for a while. So anytime anybody was doing aerial, he just popped in there and it was like such a cool loft. But now everything is Equinox and Apple. And it's just, it's not the creative space where it was before. It just morphed over time. Yeah. My thing is that House of Yes is very inclusive and it's interesting how the culture has changed. And obviously you've added to that club culture changing. And I was going to ask you, what is your recipe for fostering that inclusive temple of self-expression? House of Yes is intrinsically inclusive because our creative culture has been inclusive. Art and collaboration has been inclusive. That was a part of our, we were inclusive before it was intentional, before it was a cultural buzzword and it's actually been a, a very interesting cultural challenge to maintain that inclusivity while protecting and curating the vibe. There have been times when we've experienced like, wow, there's way too many bros, way too many type, a type of person that isn't really tuned in or aligned with some of our values or some of our ways that we dictate that a, a good time is what we set out to be. And so we've had to adjust. At one point, we ended up doing costumes mandatory. It's not mandatory any longer. But for a while, we're like, oh, if we want our parties to be the vibe that we are putting out there, that our our highest self, this temple of expression that we set out to be, then our favorite parties are the ones where everybody's wearing costumes. So you know who hates wearing costumes is angry, insecure, homophobic, transphobic. There's something about wearing costumes that feels like too feminine for a certain kind of person, especially especially a male identified person. So that became a good idea for a little bit. And then eventually that became too exclusive because it wasn't accessible. Like wearing a costume to a party is sometimes not accessible to to certain people. And it actually wasn't being as as inclusive as we intentionalized. So it has been I would say it's been an experiment and it's the journey that we are still on the path of and just getting, walking the line between inclusivity and creative curation of the audience. For a while, you had like a costume rental cart outside too, that if you didn't have a costume, you could rent it, which was so fabulous because sometimes you're like, you just want to mix up your costume too, if you're going, Yeah, if you can afford it. That's another question of who can afford to dress up and that's a bigger discussion (laughs) yeah yeah it was pretty cheap to like our standards but different people have different different standards of what they find affordable too so we want to be aware of that and it's so important to have a space where like women and lgbtq people can just feel safe yeah like where you can just really be safe you go i'm not i'm gonna actually have a good time tonight it's not gonna be crazy yeah we could do it of course we're dealing with human beings who are unpredictable and so many levels so the best we can ever do is create a space that is safer and as, as safe mm-hmm. as possible. There's, we always say that there's really no such thing as a safe space. <laughs> Unfortunately, in this right. wild world of chaos and, and all possibilities being possible, it's like we can at least make it as safe as possible. You know, that's interesting. You talked about costumes. Do you think costumes make people like 
open up and be their true selves or like they put on personas with it. I just thought of that. I was like, like what makes people friendlier when they put on costumes? Like it just like costumes just improve everything. It really does. Different people, even myself, you can have a different, a different experience even in the same costume. So let's say one night really is like a full persona and it influences how you act, behave or experience your night. And then other nights you might just feel like hot and it feels more like you. It depends on what journey you, you choose to take with that particular look. I just love, I love people dressing up because it's really them expressing themselves. And I feel like a different persona or an alter ego in a different look, in a different costume is an expression of the self. The self has many ways of it, of expressing like our, our ego or our personality that we've assigned to ourselves is not, it's not as clear cut as being one flavor or one, one behavior. Totally. And I was going to ask you, like, how has the pandemic changed the party landscape in NYC and globally? I see the House of Yes is doing parties in a lot of different places like Aspen and stuff. But how has the pandemic changed the party landscape? It's been interesting. I feel people have a deeper appreciation for parties and party people. People are definitely more self-aware, I've experienced. There's this interesting thing where people are, to my knowledge, really consuming less like less substances are necessary. A lot of people really had to check themselves before they wrecked themselves when the pandemic mm-hmm. hit. And they're like, oh my God, like, what are these habits and substances and coping mechanisms that we've almost not been aware of until the party stopped? And you're like, oh wow, like whether substance use continued well, even without the rave. A lot of people are being much kinder to their bodies, much kinder to themselves. They're just pra- practicing a lot more wellness has come into the conversation. A lot of people have cut down their alcohol. Of course, people are still drinking and there's lines at the bars and people still like alcohol. I can just speak to speak to more my friend group and myself included. I've cut back a lot compared to what I was consuming and doing in 2019. Oh my goodness. How could I keep up with that? That's crazy. And so I've just, yeah, I've just observed a lot of people being partying and celebrating in a more mindful way. That's interesting. I think it can go either way in a pandemic. You know, you're either like tuned in to what was happening before and you modify the behavior or you just turn it up a notch and you just go, I'm leaning into this. And I'm just, it's interesting because I was like looking at statistics for, for pandemics in the, in, in the U.S. and domestic abuse goes up, drinking goes up. And I think it's interesting that we have places like House of Yes that can give you a break from everything too, that you can still have fun and you can like still have a little bit of alcohol, but you might not have to go like all the way. Yeah. So it's a way for people to get out of the house too, because everybody feels trapped. I think that's it. I think people appreciate a night out so much more because they know what life is like without it too. Yeah. And it's special. You're like, okay, I'm going to go out. And like, it's a lot harder to make it out the door these days. So you become a little bit more mindful about your time and your flow and your energy. You know, I was thinking also about Yes ETC, which is your agency that you opened up during a pandemic. What was it like to open an agency during a pandemic? It was great because I had time to open it, but it's called Yes, etc. And it's our creative experiential agency. So a lot of it was just inspired by the creations of work and ideas that we'd already been doing for ourselves as a brand and also just tons of these partnerships and collaborations with brands like Hennessy, Virgin Voyages, OkCupid, Perrier. And we've done these really cool creative art activation, customized specific parties that I felt like really expanded what we could do from an experience perspective. And yeah, I was just like, wow, this is what agencies do. Like we should get paid like an agency. We should do more of this. Yeah. We should do more of this work because it's 
it's honestly fun. I really like taking the essential DNA of House of Yes and the magic we create and seeing how it plays in different spaces or different partners or even in different countries. We've been really lucky to do a couple pop-ups. In 2019, we were in Sydney, Australia. We were mm-hmm. in Amsterdam. We were starting to plan something in China, of all places, <laughs> which got shut down. But it was, yeah, part of the yes, etc. is really just the etc. It's the extra. It's the expansiveness of, of what House of Yes uh, is capable of. Yeah, I remember seeing the Virgin Voyager, the Voyage ship in the harbor when it was there. And I was like, that looks amazing. I want to be on it. And then I saw that you were doing work with it. And I was like, whatever it is, it's going to be amazing because it's House of Yes and it's Virgin. And those are two like amazing brands and it's exciting. And it seems like just such a natural progression, right? Because you're already putting on events, you're already doing production and you're already creative. So it's just the bigger extension of the work that you're doing. And you have your own space, which a lot of ad agencies don't have. Right, exactly. And that's it. It's like we're, we're our own kind of like hospitality group, nightlife legacy space that also is able to pop up and play with other stuff and make it cool and make it more art felt and heart centered. Totally. And I was going to ask you, where do you find creative inspiration? You like just seem to be like a magician, like pulling things out of the box. I'm like, how do they do it? They have like multiple events, like multiple times a week <laughs> on the same night oh, yeah. over and over again. But like, how do you find a creative inspiration? How do you like keep going? It's how do you keep the engines turning? Find, here's the thing is that you just like a balanced diet. There's no one space that you find or feed your inspiration. So Honestly, I would say like other artists, other humans, conversations, collaborations. Like I just, I think that's one of the, one of the gifts of socializing with really intentional collaborative way. Like even just being in chatting with somebody backstage and you're just clicking mentally and you're playing this great idea, ping pong back and forth. And your ideas, when you're kind of having like a yes and improv brainstorm moment with somebody, even if it's spontaneous, right? It's not like you schedule the, let's have a good idea meeting. We do that too. But let's just say that my inspiration can come from a really spontaneous conversation with a really creative friend, artist, collaborator, or a stranger even at a dance party. And you're just like, huh, and just sparks a part of your brain. And that's more in the concepts and conversation realm. But visually, honestly, like I do find inspiration on Instagram. I'm sorry. I just do. Visually, I see some really fresh shit that I'm like, wow, that's beautiful or weird or funny. And I know I'm just kind of like collecting and saving stuff that resonates with me where I'm like intriguing for whatever reason, whether it's a flyer or a, a meme. So so I do, I do find inspiration there, but you know, Bushwick and Brooklyn is insp- inspiring. New York City is inspiring. Just go take a walk and you'll find some inspiration if you're tapped in. Yeah pretty uh, pretty ripe with inspiration yeah it's almost like you can go out any night and find something like it's just there's always there's a serendipity to new york and brooklyn and it's like on a given night you can be anywhere like you can have the most amazing time i remember once we we went out with a bunch of friends this was in the city and we tried to go find a party and i can't remember whose party it was but it was like somewhere in chelsea anyway we ended up at a different we had knocked on the wrong door and there was a couple and uh, they were getting ready to go out and they were like come on in here's a bottle do you guys want snacks we'll go to your party with you and we were like this is totally random these are like just a bunch of strangers like accommodating us like normally they would have been like hey six people go away but they were like oh cool 
come on in, like hospitality, inclusiveness, and the party rolled on. That's like the beauty of New York that you meet like many people and you travel and then you're like, this is somewhere I haven't been. And it's great. I totally feel that New Yorkers have this amazing way of either being like, fuck off and putting up the walls, but really it's actually quite inclusive and kind of like, all right. I really do find traveling and seeing seeing other places, being in other being at other people's parties, I find extremely inspiring. Even just being like, wow, like that's how their door works. So that's how their ticketing felt. This is how my experience at a bar that's not house of yes is is really inspiring from a, as a as an experienced designer and a a spatial a spatially minded artist. It's uh it's cool. It's really cool to see to just experience experience yeah. other spaces and see what I love and like and dislike and bring it back to the homeland. Especially going overseas too. What I love is going to different places overseas and going to different parties because that's like every place has a different culture and a different world. And you're like, I never even thought about it this way. Oh my gosh. If you go to a party in Mexico, it's a little different than going to a party in China or going to a party in Abu Dhabi. Like it's just to- like people find places to party in their own culture to like to have fun. Yeah. In 2016, you raised funds through Kickstarter. And I was going to ask you, what is your advice for people who are building a creative business, right? Like Kickstarter is just a part of the equation. Yeah, absolutely. The The situation that inspired the Kickstarter was really that we had our first, the first house of yes, we started in 2007, burnt down in 2008. And then we had the second house of yes, which was a warehouse that we renovated and self-funded that we had for five years. And we lost that space. Five years of running an underground, illegal circus school slash theater slash dance club slash after hours spot slash living situation. So that was House of Yes number two. And so when we lost that and decided that it was worth it to find a house of yes, house of yes three. It was when we finally had partners, business partners and a space locked in that it was time to launch the Kickstarter. So I just want to be super clear about the story and then knowing that once something felt really real and that there was a need for that ask is when we launched that Kickstarter. So yeah, it was really cool. So you did a Kickstarter, you know, the Kickstarter is like a PR campaign to it. And I think that's a really good thing for people to know like you have to have an idea first and it has to be like verified it has to be like a minimal viable product and then you do all the fundraising for it and then you like do a PR campaign for it so it's this was like a planned idea and you put a lot of thought into it yeah yeah i think people call it like a proof of concept where when you're inspiring people through a kickstarter or fundraising campaign it's really, it's just really powerful if you, if you're like, yo, I've done the thing has been done. And now we want to do more of the awesome thing that we did. And here's how you can help us continue. I think it's, it's really tricky. It's hard. It's hard to start from scratch and people do it. People can do it with success, but I do, I, I totally hear you on, on the beauty of the, the PR, the awareness, really using a fundraiser is also a way to introduce people to your project, get them excited about, about the future of your project and how they can participate beyond just giving you money. Like it's really, yes, the money is helpful. It, it is seed funding. It is tremendous. It is magic. But there's so much value beyond the dollar that comes from fundraising where you build a community. Like you actually build, we had a, we almost had like, we had fans of 
the next house of yes before before the third one opened. We'd already brought us a lot of a lot of wonderful humans and like our whole business is based on human connection. <laughs> so the more humans we're connecting with, the better a lot of our projects and, and parties are. Right. And we kept on thinking because uh, you were talking about co-creating where you find your inspiration. And this kind of ties into it as well. Like you've built such a great community. It sounds like the way you build community is in person. Obviously you throw events, but like you've grown House of Yes through literally getting out there every night. You know, a lot of people do it differently. A lot of people do it through digital marketing or something else. And yours is like so visceral and people just gravitate like moths to a flame to it because it's a physical space. Do you have any advice for people who want to build a community? Yeah, I would actually say that. We have people that love House of Yes who've never been there. They live far away and they find joy, connection, creativity through following us on Instagram and even TikTok, even Facebook. We're still on Facebook a bit, but really there is, there's some be said for the beauty of social media, obviously, and like how we can really engage in conversations. Uh, it's collaborative. Like a lot of our values being creativity, collaborative, collaborative, co-creating and community. You're like, cool. Like those things are all possible, even in the digital space to an extent. Of course, we love in real, like in real life experiences are paramount and fabulous and what we love to do. But yeah, advice for people building community is just <laughs> don't be shy, but just get weird and make friends, connect with people, take a risk. Yeah. Put a little scary to put yourself out there. And I do, I personally can be a bit shy or, or feel shy and work through that shyness just to sometimes connect with others and ask for what you need. And also I'd say the biggest advice I can give that worked amazingly for us is being extremely generous with any resource you have, whether that resource is time, money, advice, expertise. If you can, whatever you can do to be generous is typically how we as humans build our social connections, our tribal connections. It's through giving. It's really through giving. And the more you give, the more you get. It's, I mean, it's classic, but it's really important to remember. That's where actual community comes from. That's beyond audience engagement. I'm talking about like real community that gives a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Like real people instead of 20 million people where like they don't care. <laughs> it's so yeah. interesting. I was going to ask you when you're not creating events, what do you love to do for fun? You just had a vacay, right? Yeah. I now love surfing. I surfed. I went surfing in Mexico for the first time ever. Nailed it. Sent it, crushed it, love it. I'm like, oh, I can go again. So that was that was a shocker. I never thought I'd surf ever. Definitely was not on my radar of things to do. So so fun. Really into that. But as far as when I'm in Brooklyn and New York, I really just love I love working out, whether it's with people, typically with people. I love rock climbing. So anything that's like a bit active and gets my brain away from the screen is really like deeply, deeply enjoyable. And I love going to shows. I like any sort of show. I went to this, I went to this like comedy burlesque show and this place called Wonderville in uh, Broadway and in, in Bushwick. And it was kind of like DIY in the most charming way. And it was still, still inspiring. It doesn't have to be Broadway, Manhattan, a big fancy show. Although I, I love a big spectacle. I love an overproduced, over, over budgeted spectacle as much as I love a, grimy DIY community driven self-produced show. So yeah, just seeing live entertainment itself brings me a lot of joy. So that's what I like to do. 
That sounds funny. I always wonder if like you guys are gonna, if I hate using the word you guys, but I say it, if y'all ever make it out to Las Vegas, I can see House of Yes, like doing some kind of a residency or just like, just taking up space in Vegas because it's so grand. Yeah, I, what, we've had talks and offers even in 2019 before before the world got super weird. But I've thought that too. You know, I just think the more we can spread joy and change people's lives, the better. They just want to do it with intention. That's not just growth, growth for growth's sake, but really understand like where can we be the most impactful, purposeful, and useful. And yeah, there's a couple. There's a couple things we we have done. Vegas. We've done Life Is Beautiful, one of our favorite festivals. So. We Done pop ups in Vegas. It's interesting to daydream about a permanent residency in Vegas. <laughs> I'm like, I'm more like, oh, there's some other cities that I feel like I would, yeah, there's other cities I'd vibe with. I'm like, yeah, it's not about like Miami, there's spots. Los Angeles has no places to dance. When I lived in LA, I was like, I just want to go dancing. There's just like, it doesn't exist. There's no dance culture. This was like, I left in like 2016, but maybe it's changed, but it's a place where you don't dance and it's, everybody is so pent up inside and everybody's so uptight and they just need to dance. <laughs> they need dancing. Yeah. There's no place there. Yeah. It's, there's no good pizza and there's no dancing. And I'm like, Brooklyn has to come over here. There needs to be Brooklyn. Like Silver Lake no, is there's an idea. <laughs> if, if there, there's an idea. If we did like a pizza parlor dance party, we just call it pizza party all the time. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to find good pizza and dancing. I'm like, just give me pizza and dancing and I'll be so happy. <laughs> I was going to ask you my last question, which is what's your dream as an adult? Oh, my dream is, as an adult is just to grow more, serve more joy, be happy. There's not much, there's not much I truly need or want more than that. Well, that's a beautiful dream and it sounds like you're living it. Yeah, get, just getting there. Just finding a more love, more peace for myself and others. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's a lot of ways to go about it, but that's uh, in a nutshell. Those are my dream, my, my dream goals and ambitions. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. Okay, thank you so much for being on the show. And I really want people to come check out House of Yes and Bushwick, which is super fun. And uh, maybe we'll speak like in a year or two. Like if you're doing something else, it'll be fun to have you on the show and then just find out what you guys are up to and, uh, and see where the show goes. Yeah, next. right. It's okay, a thank you it's so much again. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you. It's a ride. It's a ride. It's a ride. Come get on the ride. Yes, it's definitely right. So thank you so much for making the time. Maybe I'll see you at the next event with my baby when she's like old enough to dance. She just started dancing. I can't wait to like start bringing her out eventually. Oh, yes. <laughs> awesome. Yay. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation podcast, it's Dream Nation love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more and together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation love, share it with your friends, have a great day and go out and make the world a better place.